Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Hey, Rich. How close are you to where they, they probably don't know about it anywhere besides California, but Pliny the Elder, Pliny the Younger. Isn't that, that, isn't that, a, isn't that a, a fancy beer? As the crow flies are on the twisting roads of Highway 1 through the forest. Both. <laughs> I'd say as the crow flies, probably 25 miles, but on the roads, hour and a half, maybe hour 45. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big beer guy, and I've I've heard the tales of Pliny the Elder. You can't get it here in Cleveland. And we were at our collab lab in Sonoma uh, a couple months ago, and the dinner the one night, you know, I just happened to see somebody across the way drinking one. The next thing you know, Jason Madiedo, uh, our from uh, one of our first members ever on our board, he ordered like a like seventy of them. So it's very very good beer. It is good beer. You're telling me the quality of life in Cleveland doesn't doesn't include Pliny the Elder. I can't even get Ballast Point in Cleveland anymore, which is one of my favorite favorites uh, California beers. So there's definitely been some some impact of that stone and the big ones, you know everywhere but the next tier at least here it's hard to get some of that stuff and robbie how far north of the golden gate bridge are you now up highway one roughly uh, i'm gonna say 60 65 miles all right happy friday everyone rich swarbinski with the mortgage collaborative here once again with the rundown with robin rich where we take you into the weekend by running through the week that was in the mortgage industry as always, pleased to be joined by esteemed colleague and co-host Rob Chrisman. Rob, great to see you. Good to see you after the uh, after your weekend of wiffle ball, right? Yeah, we uh, broke our own record, biggest wiffle ball tournament in America. 169 teams had over uh, 4,000 in attendance, and uh, yeah, it was crazy. So I did better with the sunscreen this year, bronze, but not burnt. <laughs> So, ironic um, story, Rich. I had a couple of my wife's friends play in that tournament that I found out this week. Yeah, we we got a band, like a pretty pretty, you know, big name cover band here in Cleveland to come play the event on Saturday for like six hours. And the lead singer reaches out to me like a few days in advance. He's like, I, I was questioning like what, what has happened to my career when we play uh, we're playing a wiffle ball tournament but then he said like six of my buddies reached out to me like dude i heard you're you're showcasing the world series of wiffle ball so it's a pretty funny moment but uh it's a good a good cleveland cover band do they say we set the cuyahoga river on fire the, yeah. the <laughs> i'm sure they have some sort of yeah homemade song about that but uh yeah so and uh on this week joined a couple special guests this week uh back again this week uh rob's son robbie robbie good to see you in chrisman fashion uh showing up at a, a random location but we wanted to have robbie on this week uh because he just bought a house and he's actually got his keys this morning he's in the process of uh going through all that and moving into a new house uh, house so we figured we get a, a legitimate millennials uh, view on the home buying process and procedure today. So Robbie, thanks again for joining us. Happy to be here. And then this week, uh, TMC's very own SVP business development, Tom Gallucci. We want, we aim through the rundown to keep people informed, to 
wrap up the week by letting people know what the hell is going on in the industry outside of their silos. And Tom has the benefit of uh, working very closely, managing our entire, amongst other things, our entire preferred partner network at TMC, over 70 companies. So we wanted to get Tom on to get his perspective on just how the vendor community in general is dealing with what has been a really tough and weird business climate here in 22. So Tom, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for calling me up. All right, let's go ahead and get into it, Rob. Big news this last week or so, Wells Fargo. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Rich. I know where you're going with this. Big story, but it's not an official Wells Fargo newsflash. So it's, you're saying the, the reports of Wells' correspondence death have been greatly exaggerated. Yeah, they. Uh, that's not to say it won't happen. And I was surprised. I, actually, I wasn't surprised. I was. Uh, uh, it was interesting how many emails I received earlier this week when that Bloomberg news story. I won't call it an opinion piece, but you know there was a lot of vague stuff about people familiar with the matter or rumors or so forth or conjecture and a lot of facts from you know years ago to fill out the story. But it was interesting how many people wrote to me to say, you know, through thick or thin, Wells Fargo correspondent has always been with me when the others were jumping ship, when Countrywide was going under. My, my only investor was Wells Fargo correspondent. They've been a steady eddy. So there's a tremendous amount of support in the industry for Wells Fargo's correspondent channel. And so the, the, the story that broke was a lot of people talking about possibly changing that in the future. And I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll finish my little mini tirade here by, by saying that unlike Sprout or First Guarantee or some of the other companies, like some of the non-QM companies that just bailed and sailed right out of the market back in March 2020. If Wells Fargo does indeed decide to get out of correspondent or scale it back dramatically, you can be sure that the industry will have plenty of lead time. They're not going to do it on a Friday afternoon. So my two cents. I got to agree with everything there. I like the void that Wells filled in our industry after the meltdown 10, 11, 12, 13 was not only it was critical to our industry. Uh, if I remember correctly, they got not lucky. They they had some kind of subprime stuff going on. I think they sold their subprime arm like six or nine months before the meltdown, obviously saved them a lot of pain and suffering and then filled a huge void in the industry. I would agree. I My lender days did business with Wells my whole life, completely professional organization, uh, nothing but good things to say. I, I remember they were up to, I think it was 33% market share at one point. That's uh, at least, you know, these last 15, 20 years, the, the most anybody has seen in the industry. And the last thing I'll say is like, kudos for them, honestly, for staying in mortgage banking this long. Because to be in mortgage banking as a big huge bank is a nightmare. Again, you could pull up one of 850 Jamie Dimon sound bites about how Chase is only in the mortgage industry because they have to be really. Um, and they don't really have to. Look at US Bank. There's other big banks. They, they're not really in mortgage. They they are kind of, but not really. Um, so kudos to Wells Fargo for a great 
run. It's not over. And uh, I heard the same thing. There's no, nothing's going away with their correspondent. Yeah. The, we just got a note from Anders reminding, reminding us that Wells got out of subprime some years before the crash. And I hope that <clears throat> Wells, if they do decide to scale back their correspondent, its correspondent channel, that it's not a precursor to other large banks like Chase and City. You know, City's correspondent channel is doing very well right now, but U.S. Bank, Chase, and City, Wells, all the big banks in the business right now, fifth, third to some extent. But I hope it's not a precursor to others getting out of the correspondent channel as well, because then you are left with. And nothing wrong with Amerihome or PennyMac, but you go to a different tier of correspondent investors. And there are a lot of correspondent investors out there that, um, but they, you know, they're, I, I would argue they're a little flightier than a, a nationwide depository bank in terms of being there for the industry. It'll be interesting. Tom, anything you're seeing or hearing just on the, the correspondent lender front as it uh, relates to M&A or pulling it out, getting in, any, anything up note there? Yeah, I mean, you know, in relation to our network, the biggest acquisition we saw recently was Planet Home uh, acquiring HomePoint and essentially doubling their client base and volume, I think, you know, going up from number 10 or 11 in size of correspondence to probably four or five once post-acquisition. Um, you know, otherwise, you're seeing kind of in the non-QM space, some fears amongst lenders. You know, if they look to go that route, will those loans come back to them? If the funding source uh, goes kaput and uh, somebody suddenly has to shut their doors. But, um, you know, pretty much what I'm hearing on my end. Yeah. I want to, to ask Robbie, I mean, Robbie, you work for MZT, a, a very, very well-known hedging company, servicing valuation company, you know, so forth. It, what is what are the what are the ranks and file without revealing any trade secrets or MCT secrets? Are they is kind of the herd spooked about the Wells Fargo story, which isn't really news, it's a story, but or or is MCT more focused on the FHFA and Ginny May? seller servicer requirements that came out this week. I had heard some chatter that uh, players downsizing or exiting the space might actually help improve margins, uh, which seems a little counterintuitive, uh, but but that's kind of the chatter that I had heard. Yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of hands in the cookie jar right now, uh, to be sure. So going after the same, same amount of business. So, <clears throat> um, and so, uh, oh, go ahead, Rob. I wanted to, to 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 jump a little bit because this week I spent a lot of time with the in Orlando at the Florida Association of Mortgage Professionals Conference, and spent a lot of time. And we're talking about the current environment, which made me which made me jump ahead here a little bit. And I wanted to ask Tom, since your finger is on the vendor pulse, Tom. Part of the business climate right now, obviously, lenders are laying people off. Lenders are talking about 50% volume cut from, from say, a year ago. What are, what are the vendors saying? We, we don't talk a lot about vendors as much as we could on this show, but what, 
what are they telling you and what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, Rob, it depends on, you know, who you're talking to. Like if you were a, a tech providing vendor who was fortunate enough, say, to do a capital raise prior to June, you're feeling pretty flush about uh, your cash position and being able to double down on, uh, you know, new products, tech investments. Um, I think we've seen it, you know, maybe not as strong as we've seen it with some of these lending institutions, but certainly rounds of, of layoffs within the vendor community. Again, more so on the tech side too, as organizations look to right size uh, with, you know, some projected lean years ahead. Um, but there's also a sense of optimism out there. If you think about it largely, it's been, you know, two consecutive record-breaking origination volume years where lenders are just finally able to kind of come up for air and, uh, you know, really reevaluate maybe some of the strategic plans they had from the beginning of 2020 uh, as it relates to their vendor stack. And so, you know, really coming back around, I think, at this juncture, taking a more uh, diligent and deliberate uh, kind of process in establishing or evaluating the current stack in the, in the vendor community before pulling the trigger there. Um, but, you know, a lot of talk out there around continuing to implement automation-related resources, whether it's at the loan level or process automation, too. I think you know, there's a lot of wounds from the recent cycle of hiring and firing and lenders kind of looking to get off of the uh, the roller coaster, if you will. So definitely some some sense of optimism in the vendor community. Yeah, I, I'm glad. I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful. You don't want to see vendors, especially when they have a decent product going out of business or scaling back dramatically. The story that I'm hearing from vendors down in Florida were, the story was more, we, you know, we're getting beat up on price. We are, you know, if we can, if we can sell a widget for $5 a widget, then our lender clients are coming back saying, well, you know, your competitors up the street at $4 and 80 cents a widget and, you know, you need to match it. And, and, you know, we love you, John, but, you know, four dollars and eighty cents versus five dollars a widget. We're gonna we're, we're thinking about making the move. Are you seeing or hearing that, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of cyclical. What the situation most of mortgage lenders are facing tends to stagger and, and make its way on down to the vendor community as well. It's kind of what I alluded to before, where. Lenders have more time now to do their diligence. There's not as much of a hair on fire um, issue to, you know, proceed forward with making a change in their tech stack per se. Um, so they're going to hammer a little bit harder into the providers out there before pulling the trigger to get the, the best possible price out there, knowing that, you know, 2023, the last time I checked, is not going to be a record-breaking year at origination. Yeah. yeah. I... Uh... I, I received a note. I, I, I stand corrected uh, when we were talking about correspondence. Rich, Tom, Robbie, my apologies. Listeners, re viewers, apologies. Amerihome is actually owned by a large bank. So yeah. I apologize to Amerihome, um, the general counsel of Amerihome. Please don't send that email. And um, I, st I stand corrected. 
And, and also, we would like to re-apologize to all the Democratic Californian politicians Rob insulted a couple of weeks ago, just in case they missed the apology. Um, so, what was that apology? I'm kidding. It was you. Oh. you yeah, it was uh, the one week we just had to apologize for like seven things in a row. When uh, oh, I think I, I th- didn't the Pope just apologize for the Crusades or something? Every, everybody's apologizing for everything, and uh, right now, see, it's never too late. Mm-hmm. So, uh, always a second chance, except Deshaun Watson, evidently. But uh, we'll see what he does when he gets back. So, who's that? Um, the <laughs> he plays football. He's been in the news a little bit lately. Yeah. So, Robbie, that, this is where I, this is where I bring in Robbie under Deshaun Watson talk. He's uh, he's suspended for the first eleven games of the season, which the NFL appealed the process that they told. The, the players association they weren't going to appeal because they didn't like the original arbitrator's outcome. So uh, moving it back to mortgage for a second, we'll get back to football, but uh, it was MBA, a couple releases this week, their app, their weekly application index, the lowest mortgage demand in 20 years. And then the next day they come out with the report for only 43% of mortgage lenders, uh, or 57% were profitable in Q2. So speaks to the climate right now. Existing home sales also fell for the sixth month in a row. I never can remember that. Feb to July, six straight months of existing home sale declines, but obviously a weird year. But Robbie Crisman knows something we don't because he just bought a house uh, right now. So uh, Robbie, you feeling confident about your your home purchase, you can you tell us? Did you get a mortgage? Which lender did you go through? Uh, you talk about any of that? If you would, if you could see how far away from civilization I am, you you think I lived under a rock. So I don't know if I know something you don't know. <laughs> she thought she thought that was funny, uh, but uh, I I did go through the mortgage process actually with the Cleveland lender. Ah, you know, that. Okay. Well, based on their their global domination efforts, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm going to, I think I know who it might be, but, uh, not, not push button, get mortgage. Okay. CCM. No, is, is my lot of divulges. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, uh, hey, Rob, you, you may not be able to see the screen, but somebody's asking about how much you paid per square foot for, uh, real, a, a house anywhere near the, uh, ocean in Northern California. It was about a thousand dollars a square foot, but it came with some acreage. Came with like, a what? Some acreage. Like, like a few hundred acres? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of Cleveland prices. Like you get a thousand a square foot. You get like honestly like a half a city with that uh in land. Uh if, I if think I am half the city considering the population around me. <laughs> is that are you in downtown of your new uh city right there at the, outside the general store? This is, yeah, this is as close as, as it gets to downtown. We got Three ga- three whole gas pumps. That's pretty good. We got uh, two porta potties over there off camera, so um, <laughs> times are booming. Rob, Robbie has a lot more tact than I would have because I'd probably take the uh, audience over to see the aforementioned porta potties. But it's definitely where 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 Robbie decided to buy a place is, you know, the north coast of California, similar to the coast of Oregon, parts of Washington would be similar to the north the coast of Maine, for example, very rocky, very isolated. People go up there uh, 
they go on vacation places like Fort Bragg or Mendocino, or they go steelhead fishing in the winter when the winter's when the weather's miserable. But it's not for the it it is isolated, but it's gorgeous. So there's a sacrifice. But Robbie, you had the interesting thing. I think loan officers on the call, I think would like to hear about without getting into too many details. I don't want to ensnare you in some legal thing, but you had was it a corporation? or a partnership that was selling you the property? What did you have to go through to, to clear the hurdles of that? It was a six person LLC and there was an uncooperative seller. And so there's a 60 day appeals period in California, which delayed my closing to, uh, I think it was about Mason, about 90 days total. So we had to extend the lock, which fortunately the seller paid for, but, uh, you know, when you think you're going to close in 30 days and it goes another 60 days, it's never fun. So how did the lender react to that? Or, or, or did, was the lender just kind of shrug, you know, keep us posted? Well, so I had, I originally locked in the middle of May and that was during a big rate run up. And so it took, it took some finagling between the loan officer and the capital markets department to figure out what they wanted to charge for the extension if they'd honor the rate. Uh, which I didn't necessarily care about the the dollar outcome at the end because the sellers paid for it, but I was able to keep my rate. Uh, and and I, I think that was that was a big issue for a lot of capital capital markets departments at the start of the summer with extended rate locks. What do we do? Rates are up. Even still, there's a lot of volatility out there. And so these extended locks are hard to manage. Do you think that if you weren't in the business the, the customer service and the information flow from this particular lender was adequate or how would you, what, what advice would you give to lenders listening in in terms of when things go awry like that, being a, being, you know, a, a young home, home buyer? I would have felt a little lost without being in the business. I think, I think a lot of my friends that would that go through the process or would have a, a something happen like this you're in the, you're in the dark a lot of the time. And, and, uh, I, I enjoyed the process with my lender, no complaints, but, uh, I, I think it took me reaching out and prodding them on some things and, and, uh, different options we had for them to say, Oh yeah, we can do that. Uh, I think, I think a lot of young millennials just kind of take what they're offered when it comes to what the real estate agent tells them or what their LO tells them, you know, it's like car insurance or something like that, you know, shop at one place. Oh, it's a good enough rate. Take it head, head, head on out. Did your realtor ever offer a, a a lender that the realtor would recommend? Phrase that again. <clears throat> Did your realtor ever say, you know, you should really check out uh, ABC Mortgage because I know, you know, Francine Smith there and she'll take good care of you? Or did the realtor know you were in the business and already had a lender? Uh, by the time the issues with the seller arose in terms of dissolving the LLC, I was already far enough in the process with the, the lender that I decided to stay with them. But in home shopping out here, rural California, uh, I was recommended some local lenders that that uh, I was I was told have a lot quicker turnaround times uh, if you need a pre-approval or something like that than a, a national lender. I would have been like, listen, my last name's Chrisman. My dad has a newsletter that 100,000 people read. I want 1%. <laughs> I mean, no. It doesn't, it doesn't, a lot of money. It doesn't work like that. No? 
this didn't work like that because I, I wanted to work with this company for, for a uh, pre-existing relationship we have with the CEO. But when I, when I actually applied for a, a co-op in New York city last year, and I financed it with a, a private bank that I bank at, and I may have dropped the, I, I do a newsletter podcast about the mortgage industry. What can you do, what can you do for me? Hell yeah. Rates, this, rates were a lot better than margins were a lot wider back then though. <laughs> That's touche. This is the rundown with Robin Rich. I'm Rich Sorbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined as always by Rob Crisman. And this week, Rob's son, Robbie, and uh, TMC's very own SVP Business Development, Tom Gallucci. Rob, does size matter as it relates to the Fed's uh, increase uh, coming up? A lot of consternation this week. The Fed minutes got released. We had a rally in all the markets stocks, bonds. Everybody's like, all right, numbers are good, inflation's coming down. We're all all sales ahead. Let's go. And then the Fed minutes come out and you got some squirrely Fed members that, you know, are are making comments that are freaking people out. Stocks sell off today to end the week. Bonds sell off. 30-year fixed rates back up in the mid fives. Uh, Your your thoughts on the latest trials and tribs with the Fed? It's it's so interesting how the Federal Reserve has sucked all the air out of the room in terms of in terms of rate discussion. And it's, you know, I think everybody on the call realizes that the Fed reacts to inflation, just like mortgage rates react to inflationary news. And so I remember when Alan Greenspan would come out with some pronouncement and the markets would dissect his his paragraph or two, looking for nuances, hints, and so forth and so on. And now it seems like we've gone back to those days where, gee, a half a point, three quarters of a point, half a point, three quarters of a point. There's a lot of data between now and the and uh, and the next Fed meeting, the Federal Open Market Committee meeting. So there's a lot of ground to travel. A lot of things may happen. You know, who knows what we can sit here and conjecture about this? But heck, if they declare a truce, uh, if, if Russia says, you know, hey, we're going to leave Ukraine alone and backs off, or or China stops rattling sabers over Taiwan or you know OPEC picks up the pace of production there's a lot of things that can happen uh, we've been watching gasoline prices go down which is very nice and maybe we've seen the worst for inflation I don't think we're we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination but you know a half three quarters of the Fed Reserve as you pointed out a number of times rich toward the end of last year and into early this year the Federal Reserve was behind the eight ball in terms of really grabbing the bull by the horns. I'm going to see how many analogies I can work into a sentence here, but, you know, really the, uh, uh, you know, they, they are trying to play catch up. I think the market's interpretation is that the Federal Reserve has caught up and the fact that they are talking about another three quarters of a percent for overnight Fed funds uh, really, really it signifies that they mean business. But I think the market thinks they mean business already. So whether it's a half or three quarters, like I say, a lot can happen between now and then. And you know, whether it's a half or three quarters may be inconsequential if we know the Fed is prepared to do more. And on top of that, the if it's interesting, if you look at what mortgage rates have done since mid-June, they basically come down. You know, 30-year rates are down. From mid-June. And so it's it's a reminder that once again, A, the Federal Reserve doesn't determine 30-year mortgage rates, and B, 
overnight Fed funds don't determine mortgage rates. So the thinking among bond investors out there and mortgage investors is that, okay, things, these rate moves have already had an impact and we're going to bring long-term rates down. And we've seen that happen. The question is, if they raise short-term rates even more, A, it's going to hit the intermediate arm market, which is already, its rates are already up near uh, 15-year mortgage rates anyway. But B, it could it could push long-term rates, mortgage rates especially, down more, which would help a lot of originators out there. So, you know, it's all a, it's all a coin toss, right? So much. I've never seen a time where there's more uncertainty. I mean, there's always uncertainty about what lies ahead with the, our industry and the broader U.S. economy. But never have I seen a time where people are just so polarly divided on where things are going. Um, you've got the New York Times came out with a piece on their editorial page this week or um, yesterday, I'm sorry, it's the title of the piece was the housing market is bad, but it's not that bad. And in the piece, basically, from what's typically a left leaning newspaper, um, really goes out of its way to speak to all the strengths in housing right now. And val- as we've predicted for a year now, values aren't going down as, as, as things start to level off a little bit, because people still want houses and delinquencies are low and tons of equity and great employment and others that, you know, listen to the home builders and they're like, it's over. Like we're in a housing recession. We're done building, like batting up the hatches and uh, with the broader U.S. economy as well. Tom, how, like from on the business development side, uh, you know, the um, the the vendors in our industry, how are they it, I, like it's got to be tough to forecast going forward right now if you're like in a you know a rev a high revenue model business how, how do you think broadly tom the the mortgage lending vendor community looks at the runway this next kind of year and a half here yeah i mean they have the pleasure of trying to make sense of all the economic prognostications out there more specifically to our industry as you guys alluded more broadly in the greater economy and you've got to kind of take a, a long game approach. Um, creating solutions and kind of pricing, staffing, budgeting out for you know a longer term viability, knowing that you're not going to make up all the gains in the next six months to a year. Um, so I think personally, I think once the dust settles with the ice. Uh, Black Knight acquisition in the early part of next year, I think you're going to see a lot more chips fall out there as, you know, the whole lending community kind of reacts, but more specifically on the vendor side to, okay, you know, who do I need to uh, align with and potentially merge with to stay viable, um, kind of depending on what that entity looks like on the back end. That's a great point on the ice Black Knight thing. There's so much is like hinging on that. If it's lenders that are waiting to make tech decisions or other acquisitions in the industry on the vendor side or the lender side, uh, there's a lot that hinges on that outcome, which is not likely to come anytime soon. I would venture like next spring, right, at the earliest. Yeah, I mean, those were the kind of initial projections when that announcement came out a few months ago and haven't heard anything otherwise to uh, change that just you know, status quo is to go through the uh, the regulatory process. This is the rundown with Rob and Rich. Got about five, 10 minutes left uh, this week with myself, Rob Krisman, uh, Rob's son, Robbie, and Tom Gallucci. 
from TMC. Uh, Tom, anything else you're seeing, hearing, feeling out there in the marketplace uh, that would be worthwhile info for our viewers and listeners? And I'll take this opportunity to remind everybody, subscribe to our podcast, uh, TMC Connect, wherever you get your podcast, where most of you listen. And if you're listening now on podcast, join us live on Fridays at 3. Go to mortgagecollaborative.com to sign up for the live broadcast. Rob, you have your hand up. I do. I have a question for Tom and Robbie. And you were you were asking Tom about what else is going on in the vendor space. Tom, I have a question that I'm going to ask you in front of everybody, and I want Robbie to weigh in as well. So vendors and, and lenders, but vendors have X amount of marketing budget, X amount to spend, as, as do lenders. So here we have, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was last year, Anthony Shea. Low Depot buying, didn't he buy the stadium naming of the Marlins where the Marlins play or something? And, you know, G-Rate owns some stadium somewhere. Um, White Sox. Yeah, which I would call Comiskey Park. But that aside, so Tom, what do you think that the return on investment is is really warranted. What what advice would you give to a new vendor or lender starting off? Do you think that they should, you know, start by by putting signs on little league home run fences or 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 or, or I mean, what where where is the spend? Where should where should vendors spend their marketing money? And I want Robbie to weigh in in terms of, you know, to see, you know. There are companies that all the time sponsor NASCAR cars and NASCAR races and so forth, and the Pepto Bismol 500 and you know Lake Havasu, Arizona, or whatever it is. I'd like to 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 find out, Robbie, your thoughts on does it make any difference if somebody sponsors it? So, Tom. Yeah, I mean, you know, unless you've got Scrooge McDuck's uh, pool of gold coins to work with. Um, you, especially in this market, you've got to be a lot more tactful with how you're using your marketing dollars and your spend. So if you think more broadly, it's all about grabbing attention. And Lord knows in, in the world we live in today, you've got 38 million different distractions out there for your attention. And really as a marketeer, I'm just trying to get your attention long enough to implant somewhere in the head, uh, my company's name or, or what we do, um, so you see a lot more focus on getting involved with podcasts like this and, you know, maybe not having the naming rights on a stadium or being the official sponsor of the NFL um, or, you know, Deshaun Watson's after hours habits, but uh, you've got to be more diligent than ever and how you are utilizing that dollar out there and what it's going to get you in return um, as it relates to conferences in our industry, what's the visibility going to look like for you? Uh, you know, you can't be, you're not in the market to throw money out there just to spend and say, Hey, I've got cash to spend here. It needs to come back with a return that draws either clients or potential clients, uh, your way. Robbie. I'm not sure how my service is right now, but, uh, I think through platforms like Salesforce, companies are able to really attribute the the impact of their dollar spend and break it out into the returns. So that's gotten a lot more granular and and, uh, 
a lot more robust in the way that they're able to track it. Yeah, there is so That's much. A great point, Robbie. And yeah, I mean, from the CFO down to different departments, even just in our network, there's a much more tighter focus on, you know, what are we spending and, and how is it going to project in value or ROI back to us? Definitely. Yeah, I, had, I bring it up, <clears throat> Tom, to, to some extent. Like I said, I was in Florida and I happened to, to have lunch with a couple of people from Finance of America and they had sponsored a, a hole in, uh, in the golf tournament that morning or golf match or whatever, whatever happens in mortgage events in terms of golf. And I said, so was that worth it? Was that, was that really worth it? Because I think, you know, really, is that, does that money matter? And they said, hey, it was only $250. And B, and I hope I'm not stealing Finance of America's trade secrets here, but B, they found the use to them much more. It was much more use to them, much more beneficial, they thought, sponsoring a hole for $250 than paying for an exhibition booth in an exhibition hall with countless other exhibitors. Because they said when the golfers, yeah, it was a relatively limited audience, you know, the foursomes would come through, but there was genuine conversation that could take place. And, you know, they were offering water or whatever they were offering, you know, Milky Way bars or whatever, but they gave them a chance to actually engage with those golfers. Whereas in an exhibition hall, you know, typically a lot of lenders are just walking through looking for what kind of good giveaways there are so that's that's why right and then hitting the exit right and rob it's a great point too i mean you spend that good money to set up ship at a huge exhibit booth and there's a good chance you're going to be talking to your fellow vendors for the vast majority of the time where you take that 250 hole sponsor at a golf tournament get some organic conversation get a couple pictures for social media with different clients in front of it and You've made your money's worth it then, some. Yeah. Rich, I hope I just didn't blow a hole in the uh, TMC <coughs> Chicago sponsorship. No, I, it's a good topic, honestly, because I, I think it's all changing yeah. right now. I and mean, we have been out in front of this. I like what people, you know what the number one thing people want is the lanyard sponsor. Everybody looks at it nonstop. Like yeah. the first time we did a conference, like, oh, lanyard sponsor, we'll charge like 2500 like gone first. Yeah. All right. Two three conferences in a row. It's the first thing sold. I'm like, charge twenty thousand for the lanyard. What? It's still the first thing sold <laughs> because everybody looks at it. It's the best, you know. But it, more broadly, I think that like what people will expect out of sponsorship dollars and what they'll want to pay for is going to be but much much more targeted and creative. It's already kind of starting to happen. The days of paying like twenty thousand for a lunch or you know uh, whatever X for this or that. I it, it has no real teeth to it i it's tough right now well yeah, fellas, I mean, speaking of the exhibit booth that's why we got rid of uh ours multiple years ago and really focused on just doing more you know lightning showcases we call them demonstrations and consumer case studies uh where you can kind of evidence what you're doing in front of an audience of lenders and maybe every so often we Throw in a uh, drink ticket or something that uh, incentivizes their participation as well. Right, and and Mike just chatted a great point. It, it there's a fine line between 
sponsorship, return on equity, and am I getting my money's worth and supporting the organization, whether it's the Mortgage Collaborative or your arch rival Lenders One or you know the Florida Association of Mortgage Professionals. So it does, it, it does, uh, Mike, that's a great point. Because you're right, the majority of sponsor dollars that are spent, I, I, there are little to no expectations for it. It's either you're you're supporting something or a company or an event or a cause that has been good to you. And it's more about that than it is, you know, but for the companies that are looking for these new companies, especially that got to, you know, grow customers, it's there's got to be some teeth to it. So, right. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give Mike Cole a shout out for the uh, the great support and association from our partnership with MGIC. Appreciate and, it. Mike. And we'll be looking for his name on the lanyards, right? In uh, Chicago. Is that the deal? <laughs> they were sold months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, fellas, we're just about out of time. Any big weekend plans? I got high school football, Friday night lights, first game of the year for the Twinsburg Tigers. I'll be, uh, Heading there tonight, and then uh, yeah, just chill around the house. We can get some things done. Any, any, Robbie, you're moving. I mean, that's that's got to be. Uh, what do your next few days look like? This, just hell. This right? U-Haul truck <laughs> will soon soon be empty. It's. I can't even imagine. Did you like movers in Ohio are ridiculously expensive in Northern California? What is it like? Thirty grand a day a guy. <clears throat> I got I got the old man himself coming up. Oh man! Wow. Yeah, I was gonna say, you, Rob, you gotta have some friends <laughs> that you can bribe with uh, some light beers and za, uh, and be good to go. Right, a few few slices of pizza. <clears throat> I got. Um, I got. I got four p.m. tomorrow when when Rabbi caves and calls two men in a truck. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, so you're helping your son move this weekend. Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I'm gonna play some. Uh, I'm gonna have dinner with my daughter tonight in, uh, in Larkspur, California, and then play some hoops tomorrow morning. And uh, yeah, head up and check out his his new digs. Your daughter, the teacher who, that you broadcast from the. And what, what what cuisine you guys going to get tonight? We're thinking Thai, Thai uh, or, Puerto, or Puerto Rican. Does does Thai or Puerto Rican any any uh, Thai or Puerto Rican influence in Twinsburg, Ohio, Rich? Yeah, there's actually a really good Thai restaurant in uh, Twinsburg, Ohio. So, but yeah, go. it's but not nearly the the food diversity of uh, your fine land. So, Tom's building a putting green in his backyard. That thing uh, done yet, Tom? Uh, like a legit putting green in his backyard? Really, yeah. legit putting green? Yep. If uh, I'll have to send in some pictures for uh, for next week's edition, but it's all done. I'm gonna spend some time on that. I am um, a coach a little flag football for my son tomorrow. And uh, I'm actually going to see Rich's alma mater uh, where my wife teaches at play tonight. Good old East Lake North Rangers for some Friday night lights. East Lake North Rangers. Really? I, is that so Tom, I'd heard that the East Lake North Rangers actually owned slaves 200 years ago. And there's a huge movement to change their name. Is that, is that true? <laughs> so that's actually their counterpart, the Willoughby South Rebels. But <laughs> <laughs> and you know, well, since yeah. you're slinging jabs, I got my Guardians in first place, the youngest team in baseball, the number two minor league system in baseball, one of the lowest payrolls. Tito Francona just getting it done every year uh, on the North Coast. So 
um, and uh, ahead of the guaranteed rate field, Chicago White Sox in the standings. So in case Tracy, uh, Tracy King Donatio less is uh, listening. So um, anything else anybody has for uh, the group before we bid adieu and call it a weekend? I'm good. Robbie, congrats on the new home purchase. Uh, all the best with the move, especially since your dad's helping you. And uh, Tom, we should have really had your wife on to get her thoughts on the putting green in the backyard. That would have been some really entertaining uh, radio. So, but uh, we'll see. Oh, yeah. She, she'd have given you some good reaction. <laughs> I might actually lean on her. I'm going to air it out here now. I'm accepting bribes for uh, Rich's senior photo from high school for uh, anybody of interest. Hopefully, I can Listen, track that down. I, especially since I had a legendary mullet, that thing it would only increase the value. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like Robbie's got the mini mullet going there, the the no kale uh, unkept uh, hairdo uh, look. So that my seventeen year old son the is party in the back. Uh, yeah. All right, enough madness for the week. Yep. Uh, Robbie, great seeing you, Tom. Uh, always great having you on and uh, chatting. And Rob, uh, always great talking through our crazy business. So uh, to our audience, thanks as always for joining us. We're here every Friday, three p.m. Eastern. Friday, you too. With the rundown and uh, get us on podcast on YouTube and of course live every Friday at 3 p.m. So till next week, have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.